0: We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and tonight we're going to cover verses 17 through 24. Uh, it's always kind of hard as a Bible teacher just to like jump right into the middle of a book without giving some amount of context. And so um, uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning with the high school group, and so um, Paul... He's writing to the Ephesian church, obviously. Uh, this was one of four prison epistles that he had written. Um, you got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and anybody guess that fourth one? Philemon, good job. One of my high schoolers, I asked that question on Sunday, so they're like, yeah. Um, She probably wrote it in her notes, huh? Um, So uh, yeah, so we got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. We believe that Paul wrote these letters uh, during his first Roman imprisonment. He was under house arrest, Um, and this letter is a letter of encouragement. Uh, You're not going to find one word of rebuke in this letter, like you read through Galatians, and it's nothing but rebu- rebuke, right? You guys got to get your lives right. You read through 1 Corinthians. Again, there's correction there. Even even Philippians, the, the book of joy, right? There's a moment in there where he's got to correct um, some, some ladies who were having some issues in the church. But you're not going to find that in Ephesians. Uh, this is a letter we're not 100% sure what the occasion was for writing, But we know that it was a letter of encouragement. Um, uh, You can break up the book of Ephesians really nicely into two portions. The first half is heavy on doctrine and theology. Uh, He spends those first three chapters just discussing, you've come to know Christ well, this is what that means. And he takes you to the heights of your spiritual life. And he says at one point, you've been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. In verse one, uh, in chapter one, verse three, he says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he takes those chapters and he just discusses. So what does that mean? What are those spiritual blessings? Well, it means that you've been adopted as his sons. It means that you've been predestined. It means that you've been forgiven. It means that the, the blood of Christ has covered all of your sins. It means That uh, the Lord has created peace between Himself and mankind. He's created peace between Jews and Gentiles. He's created one man, one body, one building. So He brings you to the heights of our our Christian walk. Um, There's not really a lot of, so go do this in those chapters. He saves that for the second half, chapters four through six. If the first three chapters were heavy on doctrine, well, the last three chapters are heavy on application. Um, He takes the time just to talk about, well, as a result of that, as a result of what Jesus has done for you, as a result of the great salvation that he's brought about in your life, this is how you should live. These are the things that you should be doing, um, and he gets really super practical. This last Sunday, we're not going to cover it, but this last Sunday, he said things like, "So you know, don't steal. <laughs> you know, don't don't be liars. Right? Uh, be angry, but don't don't sin in your anger." He gets really really practical. He talks about what this would look like within our relationships with one another, in the in the home, um, with our children, with our spouses. Um, and so in chapter four, verse one, this really sums up these three chapters. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. To walk worthy of the calling. If it's if it's true that Jesus has done all of these things for us, if it's true that the Lord has brought about such a great salvation um, within our lives, and we can't walk away from that unchanged. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of that calling. Well, as I said tonight, we're going to be in chapter 4. He's still in this section of walking worthy of um, this, this practical aspect. Let's go ahead and read uh, chapter seven, or verses 17 through 24. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm sure that you all have heard this, but the Christian life has been compared to that of a foreigner. Somebody who's just traveling through, right? A a pilgrim. Um, You know, Jesus himself told his disciples in John 17, 16 that they're not of this world. Um, Paul told us in Philippians 3.20 that we're citizens of heaven. Um, The point is is that this place isn't our home, and as Christians, we should look different. Right? That's why Paul says here, um, you you shouldn't walk like the Gentiles walk. You shouldn't walk like unbelievers walk. There should be a difference in your life. How many of you guys have ever witnessed tourists and you're like, oh, man, that person is definitely not from this place? Um, I think that we all probably have. How many of you guys have ever been that tourist? Oh, yeah, we're all raising our hands, right, where we feel so awkward and so uncomfortable and feel like everybody's staring at you like, you're like, I know, I'm not from here. Like, I, I don't understand. Um And I think it was in 2007, um, I had the opportunity to go on a vacation with my family to Rome and uh, like trip of a lifetime, right? It was so fun. Well, my brother, he was like planning all of it and uh, making all of the reservations and stuff. And he really, really didn't want to go to the tourist trap places, you know, because you can go to Rome and you can go to essentially an American restaurant. Um, but he, he wanted the authentic experience. And so there is this one night we go into this restaurant. It was a little hole in the wall Italian restaurant. And the first thing that we notice is that there wasn't anybody in there who spoke English. And we're like, all right. This could make for an interesting evening. Second thing that we noticed is that the menu was 100% Italian. <laughs> there wasn't a word of English on there. And so uh, I don't speak Italian. Nobody in my family speaks Italian. So there was certainly a gap between us um, and the waitress. So they had pictures, which was nice, on their menu. And so uh, when it came to order, uh, we all just started to you know, kind of point at the menu like, yeah, I think that this looks good. And so... She asks my dad, and my dad orders, and then um, my mom starts to order, and she gets kind of a quizzical look on her face. And, and so my mom orders, and she writes it down, and then my brother and his wife, they begin to order, and she's like trying to communicate something to us, but it's just not, there's such a language gap, right? Like we, we don't know what she's trying to say to us, but she's definitely concerned, but we order our food anyway. And she gets our order down, all five of us, ordered our food. Well, what we didn't know is that this was a family-style restaurant, Um, and so one of those menu items that we ordered would have been plenty to feed us, and we bought five of those. And so they're bringing out these huge bowls of food, and like we're seeing the the staff in the kitchen, and they're all like snickering at us and laughing, and like the waitresses. And we, I mean, all we had to do was laugh. Like, like we didn't know we're not from here, and everybody knew they're they're not from here. It was it was clear. Um, it was uh, pretty evident. Well. In a similar way, that's how our lives should be as believers. Not that we should be ignorant like my family and I was in Rome. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But there, there, there should be a difference. And people should be able to look at us and tell they're not from here. They're not from here. Their, their behavior is different. Their language is different. Their, their customs, their cultures, their attitude, everything about them is so different. They should be able to tell just by looking at us uh, that we're not from here. We're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven. We're just passing through. And this is what Paul is driving home in this section that we're not from here and we ought to look different. Check it out, verse 17. Let me read it again. He said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He's using the word Gentile here kind of as a generic term for anybody who doesn't know the Lord. He's saying you shouldn't walk like an unbeliever. The, the way that you uh, conduct your life, it shouldn't look like an unbeliever. Um, we're no longer to walk like that. When we come to Christ, we are called out of that way of life. And this is the point that Paul is making um, in these three chapters. He's saying, if Jesus has brought you to the heights of heaven, you've been seated in the heavenly places, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing uh, that there is, um, there's a higher calling for your life now. And you're called to walk worthy of that calling. And so you should not walk like the Gentiles. You should not walk like the unbelievers. There needs to be a stark difference in your life now. And I think that this is something that uh, it would be good for us to remind ourselves of, uh, to continually remind ourselves. You know, for some reason, there's a trend in the church that um, just kind of strives to tell the world, well, we can be as cool as you. <laughs> you know, we can be we can be just as relevant as you, right? Um, we can have everything that you have, and we have Jesus, right? So that makes us better. And so, you know, we have all of these things, we have everything that you have, and we have Jesus. Well, that that's not right. That shouldn't be the case. Why? Well, we shouldn't look anything like the world. The world should have, have no bearing in our gatherings. Paul says you should no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. That kind of thinking, it's something that we need to guard against. Um, it's okay, you guys. It's okay if we look different from the world. It's okay if there's awkward conversations. It's okay um, if the world gives us those kind of quizzical looks like, why, why aren't you getting this or why aren't you doing this with me? It's okay. We're called to be different and we're not called uh, to walk like that. But I also think that, you know, Paul is reminding the church of this because, quite frankly, we still obviously deal with our flesh, we deal with our flesh. We deal with, um, with our sinful nature, right? Um, it would be nice, but this doesn't happen. Uh, when, when we become believers, man, the Lord doesn't just take all of that out of our lives. He begins a process in our lives that is sanctification. He makes us holy. Listen, we've spent years and years thinking and forming habits and creating a way of life that looked just like the rest of the world because we were of the world and Paul says, now that you're saved, all that stuff shouldn't be a part of your life anymore. shouldn't be a part of your life. That's not how you ought to be walking. It doesn't just vanish, though. It needs to be rooted out of us. And so the Lord begins that process of sanctification. So Paul says, don't walk like the Gentiles, Don't walk like the unbelievers. And then he gets specific and he tells us how they walk. He says, first of all, that they walk in the futility of their mind. And really, your mind, that's where you determine a lot of things, right? That's where you determine everything. That's where you determine, I'm going to be serious about my walk with the Lord. It starts in your mind. That's where you determine, I'm going to choose to walk with the Lord and obey him. It begins up here, but he says that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, walk in the futility of their mind. Uh, This word literally means void or empty, saying they're walking, and this is spiritually speaking, they're walking um, in the emptiness of their mind. They, 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 um, They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. Um, They don't know what it means to walk with the Lord. They don't know what it means uh, to please the Lord. Their minds and their thoughts are futile. Well, he pulls on this string a little more in verse 18, and he says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Notice the words Paul uses here to describe them. He says that they have a darkened understanding, they're alienated from God, They're ignorant, and they have a blindness of heart. I think that we could sum up those words with with one word. They're lost. They're lost. They they don't know what's good. They don't know what's bad. Uh, They're blind. They're they're ignorant. They're without understanding. They're alienated from God. Um, And if that's the case, and if this is true of the world, Um, Well, that's not just going to affect how a person thinks. That's going to affect everything that they do. That's going to affect their actions. It's going to affect their conduct. It's going to affect their mode and operation of living. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 19, he talks about um, not just what they think, but what they do in verse 19. He says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. He says that they are past feeling. Uh, another translation uh, says that they are callous, that they are callous. What is, what is a callous? Uh, I'm a guitar player, and I've um, played guitar, I don't know, 15, 16 years now. When I first started playing guitar, any, any guitar player knows this. When you first start playing guitar, those first couple months are brutal. Why? Because you don't have any calluses on your fingertips. Right? You're, you're literally taking a piece of metal and shoving it into the fleshy part of your fingers. And that that hurts. <laughs> that hurts a lot. You know, there have been times when I've gotten blisters uh, on the tips of my fingers because um, I didn't have a callus. Well, well, what takes place? Well, at first, I'm pressing my string, my fingers into these strings, and it hurts. But then I practice more, and the more that I do it, the more that that skin on my fingers begins to die. And now um, I'm, I'm just in a perpetual state of dead skin on my fingers, right? Uh, it, it's it's completely dead. Um, I, I can play guitar for a long amount of time, and I don't even feel it. Well, this is what Paul says, uh, the mind of an unbeliever and the conscience and heart of an unbeliever is like. He says that it's it's. A, a callous. They have a calloused heart. They have a calloused mind. Um, by way of exercise and by way of practice, they're able to ignore the sting of sin. Um, and it's like Paul is saying, but not so among you. But not so. that That's not what you're called to. You're not called to have um, a calloused heart. When we as believers sin, we should feel it. We should feel it. Now, I'm not saying that we need to live in the guilt and shame of that sin. Of course, Jesus died for that sin. He, he, he bought and paid for it on the cross. He experienced our shame for us. But when we fall, um, man, we ought to feel that. We we ought to have a tenderness. Just like my fingertips were tender when I first started playing guitar, I knew that that something unnatural was taking place, right? Um, Well, in the same way, when we sin, something unnatural is taking place in our lives. We we weren't designed to sin. And therefore, uh, to a large degree, we ought to feel it. We should be convicted. And by that conviction, it should lead us to repentance. But let me tell you this. As believers we should never be in a place where we are allowing a callus to grow in our hearts. Where, where we walk in sin, and that first time, it stings. It hurts. It, it doesn't feel good. Uh, but if you practice that sin, if you exercise in that sin, well, maybe the second time it's still going to hurt, but not as much. Then maybe the third time, it's th- that twinge of guilt is going to be there, uh, but it's, it's starting to, to hurt less. Why? Well, because you're developing a callous. And that is a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be. Don't allow a callous of sin to grow over your heart. You be soft to sin. This whole section, Paul is saying, don't be like the unbelievers. Don't be like the Gentiles any longer. You've been called to a higher calling. There's a higher standard for your life. The unbelievers, they have a calloused heart. They have a calloused mind. They don't care when they sin, but not so among you. You should care. You should feel it. And that, that pain should cause you to run to the cross and allow your sins to be wiped away. And, and that shame and, and even that pain of it to be wiped away at the foot of the cross uh, as you repent before the Lord. Don't allow your hearts to be calloused that you wouldn't practice it, that you wouldn't allow it to form that callous over your heart, be people who are quick to repent. Quick to repent. That at the, at the first sign of sin in your heart, you go to the Lord, being tender. And so Paul, he goes on here in verse 19, he says that their callousness, or in their, their being past feeling, right? He says that they have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Again, notice these three words. He says uh, that they've given themselves over to lewdness, uncleanness, and greediness. And each of these words conveys the idea of sexual immorality. Um, Lewdness, you could translate it as licentiousness or sensuality. Um, Uncleanness is is immorality. Greediness is just a desire for more and more and more. But each of these kind of carries the idea of filth of filth, sexual immorality. The ESV puts it like this. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So he's saying the world is given over to their sexual desire, and they crave it. They crave it. They're they're not ever satisfied. They're greedy um, for more and more of it. And is that something that we see in the world? I think we'd all say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to look far. Um, we're all going to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday, and <laughs> I think we're all going to skip the halftime show, right? Because it's going to be filled with, with what? With debauchery and licentiousness and um, immorality and, and, and putting it on full display for everyone to see. We, this is something we absolutely see in the world. Um, this is why we have so many unwanted pregnancies. Uh, this is why uh, the, the pornography industry is, is, is booming Because the world is obsessed with sex. The world is completely given over to sexual immorality. And this is what we can expect from the world. But not so among you. Paul says, you don't walk like the Gentiles anymore. There should be a difference in your life. Uh, There there shouldn't be rampant sexual immorality um, in your lives. You're a citizen of heaven. You, you are called to walk worthy of the calling. Your life should look different. Well, what is the standard for purity in the life of a believer? What is the standard? Jesus gives us the standard in Matthew 5, very famous passage. Verses 27 through 28, he says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen, the Lord looks, he doesn't look just at our actions. He doesn't just look at what we do. He sees into our hearts. He sees what you think. He sees what your intents were. And so Jesus himself, he says, I say to you, if you look at a woman, even so much as to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. Well, what is What is lust? Well, Again, it's just a desire and a, and a craving for something that doesn't belong to you. In this case, it would be um, another person. And some people will say, well, Daniel, you know, there's, there's no harm in looking, right? I mean, uh, I, I'm not physically doing anything, so there's no harm if I just look, is there? Not according to Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, that to lust, not even physically carrying out an action, just a thought of your heart, that's the same as committing adultery. And this is the standard of purity for your life. That's the standard of purity. Now, of course, within the confines of a marriage, um, absolutely, uh, the, the, that's pure, that's good, and that is what the Lord has designed and created. But anything outside of that, listen, the Lord says this is, this is lust, and it's impure and it is adultery and that should have no part of your life. And so if you are a person who you know maybe you are you're you have an inappropriate relationship with somebody or maybe you are um, caught up in pornography of course there's grace and mercy at the foot of the cross but the lord is calling you today to repent. The lord is calling you today to come out of that sin and to feel the sting of sin, and to lay it at the foot of the cross, to repent of that. It should no longer have any part of your life. If if you've identified yourself with Jesus, if you've identified yourself, you said, I've given my life to him, I'm redeemed, um, and he has completely forgiven me, walk worthy of the calling, and don't walk like the unbeliever's. Repent of these things. Leave them at the foot of the cross, and the Lord is going to be right there to love you, to forgive you, to strengthen you, to renew you. Submit yourself to him. The Lord cares about you. The Lord cares about what you do. The Lord cares about how you think. The Lord cares about what's going on inside of your heart. Submit yourself to him, and of course he's going to be there with open arms. He's not one that you need to cower away from. He's one that at the first at the first sign of, of sin in your heart that you go to him and he forgives you because he loves you. Well in verses 20 through 24, Paul, he moves on to talk about what should be taking place in our hearts. What, what should be happening in the life of a believer? If we're not called to walk like unbelievers, well then what should happen? Verse 20 says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He says, you have not so learned Christ. Notice he doesn't say, you have not so learned about Christ. No, he says, you have not so learned Christ. He's saying, "Uh, this isn't how you know Jesus. This isn't what you know of the Lord. Um, He's saying, this is not what you've learned of Christ personally. He's saying if you have truly learned Christ, if you have truly submitted your life to him and you actually, you know him, it's not just a head knowledge or a theoretical knowledge. No, you know him personally, just like we know each other. Um, This isn't what he's taught you. He hasn't taught you to continue in your sin. He hasn't taught you to continue um, in the world. You've not been called to walk this way since you've come to Jesus. And really, I think that Paul is combating this idea that we hear so often of, you know, well, I think that Jesus just accepts me for who I am, and so that means that I can walk however I want to walk, or... um, you know Jesus is going to forgive me anyway, so you know what's what's the harm if I continue um, in this sin? You know I I knew somebody, they were um, uh, uh, I don't think they were walking with the Lord, but they basically said, well I can I can party and I can commit sin because I can just confess those things later. That's a scary place to be, and if a person is talking like that, I'm not sure that they've they've ever actually experienced the grace of the Lord and have actually submitted their lives to him. So Paul is combating this idea, saying this isn't what you've learned of the Lord. This isn't how Jesus has taught you. Uh, this isn't, these aren't things that you learn from being in the word of God. Um, these aren't things that the Lord is, is affirming in your life. So what do we learn from the Lord? Well, we're gonna see here in 22 through 24, we learn to be sanctified. And we learn to be made holy. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you catch that three-step process there? Paul says that you would put off the old man um, that you would be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you would put on the new man. Notice Paul doesn't just say, stop it, <laughs> stop it, don't do that anymore, and then just leave it at that. No, he says, yeah, stop it, but do this instead. Re- replace it with this. Instead of, instead of walking in sin and, um, and in debauchery and licentiousness and all of the things that the world walks in, instead walk this way. Instead, do these things. Um this is a principle that we see all through the New Testament. You know, a, a lot of times, if there's a command to not do something, there will next be a command to replace it with something, to do, do something um, instead. Don't do this, but rather do this. So let's talk about these things. Paul says in verse 22 that you would put off the old man, that you would put the old man away. This, of course, is referencing uh, your sin nature. Uh, your flesh, who you were before you came to Christ, right? That you would put that aside. And when Paul talks about putting off and putting on, you can have in your mind literally like a garment that you you would take this flesh off and that you would put on the new clothes, the new things that the Lord has given to you. So he says, first of all, put off the old man, uh, concerning uh, your former conduct the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust that is the things that we used to do the things that we used to enjoy the things that were precious to us our former way of life paul says put that off take that off don't don't wear that dirty shirt anymore you know how many of you guys have ever probably not many of us guys, maybe some, um, but you've, you've looked in your closet and you're like, man, I hate all of these clothes. <laughs> and I don't want to wear any of them, right? Uh, Megan has said that to me before where she's just like, I don't want to wear any of these clothes. Like, I need a new wardrobe, right? Um, well, listen, as Christians, we need, a, we need a new wardrobe because all of the clothes that we had in our closet before were, were filthy. They were disgusting, they weren't, they weren't shirts that you'd want to put on. And so Paul says, listen, concerning your former conduct, what you used to do, put that away. Put it away. Don't, don't put that on anymore. It's disgusting. It's filthy. Don't walk in those things. And I really think the Lord wants us to be serious about this. I really think the Lord wants us to be serious about putting away our sin, not in, not in a legalistic way, but just like, okay, Lord, by your grace, by your strength, I'm not going to walk in these things anymore. With your help, Lord, give me strength. I don't, I don't want to put on those filthy garments. I want to I put those off. I want to take those off. I don't ever want to walk in these things again. The Lord wants us to be serious about it. Uh, another famous verse in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says this, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I think that Jesus was speaking in hyperbole here. <laughs> Obviously, I don't think that he wanted a bunch of you know, amputees and, and blind people because we would all, we would all be that, right? But what's the point? What's the the hyperbolic principle that he is making here? saying, be serious about it. This is how serious I want you to be about rooting the sin out of your life. That you would even take something that's important to you and cut it off. How much would you sell your right hand for? Ever thought about this question? I think about weird things like that. Or if somebody was like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars for your eye. I don't think I would take it, right? I don't think I would give up my hand. Like, it's it's important to me. I, I want it. I use it to pick things up, right? And it's it's good for me to have my hand. And there's not, I don't think that there's really any amount of money that I would be willing to give up my hand. But Jesus says, but if this is causing you to sin, it's not that important. And you ought to give it up. And so what does that mean for your life? What does that mean for you? Well, Jesus is saying, get to the root of the issue. You know, if you are always falling into sin when you're on your iPhone at night, maybe you don't need your iPhone anymore. They still make dumb phones. Did you know that? They still make dumb phones. What? What's it worth to you? You're like, well, it's my iPhone. It's worth... Like $1,000, and it's worth like all, all the wasted time that I spend on it, right? It's, it's worth a lot to me. It's precious to me. But if it's causing you to sin, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to hold on to these things where every time you you go to that place, where every time you engage in this particular activity, or every time you can fill in the blank, you fall into sin and it's it's a hindrance and a stumbling block in your life? Is it really that important? What's more important than your walk with the Lord? Well, my walk with the Lord is more important than my hand. It's more important than my eye. It's certainly more important than my iPhone. And so Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. You don't need it. You don't need it. If, it's, if it's that much affecting your walk with the Lord, um, what lengths might you go to to walk in holiness? The Lord wants us to be radical about this. The Lord wants us to be radical. And so he says, Paul in verse 22, "Concerning your former conduct, put off the old man. Put off the old. Don't walk in those lusts. Don't don't walk in those things. Walk in holiness in light of the cross, in light of the grace of God poured out upon your life, walk in these things. And I certainly hope that uh, and I hope I'm conveying this okay I don't want us to be like yeah well we all need to go out and just try so much harder and we need to go and do more things listen this is about the grace of the Lord if anything submit yourself to the Lord more submit your life to him allow his allow his strength to help you cast the sin out of your life this isn't this isn't one of those things where we're trying to perfect ourselves in the flesh by the flesh no be filled with the Holy Spirit Go submit yourself to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Bring these things to the cross. Bring these things before your maker and say, Lord, I'm not stronger than this, but I know that you are. And I know that you can give me the strength to overcome it. So in Jesus' name, would you please fill me with you? Would you please help me with this, God? And you know what? The Bible says that we can go to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. Jesus is there. He offers that help to us. And so Paul says, Put off the old man. Don't walk like you used to. Don't walk in the former lusts. Don't walk in those things that used to be important to you. And if there's anything in your life that you feel is more important than your walk with the Lord, well, I would say that's idolatry and you should get rid of it anyway. So put off the old man. That's the first step. And then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 23. Be renewed. Notice he brings up the mind again. Um, In verse... Uh, I forget which verse it is, but uh, somewhere toward the beginning. I think it's verse 17. He says um, that you should no longer walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. But here Paul says we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, right? They need to be renewed, meaning that the things that I used to put my mind on, that futility, as Paul called it, the depraved, sinful, lust-filled things, or maybe covetous, or or whatever it was, and whatever we partook of before we were um, believers— Paul says, be renewed. Be renewed. Renew your mind. Uh, Don't set your mind on those things anymore. Rather, set your mind on the things that are above. Listen carefully. The war that rages on for our personal purity and holiness, it's fought and won on the battlefield of your mind. Let me say that again. The war that rages on for your personal purity and holiness is fought and won on the battlefield of our mind. If I'm trying to put off the old self, but my thought life is in the garbage, well, I'm not going to do a good job of putting off the old self, I don't think. If I'm still thinking about those things, I'm still putting my mind on those things, if my mind is not being renewed, well, I'm, I'm inevitably going to fall back into that sinful lifestyle. Because as a man thinks, so a man does. As we think, uh, as our thoughts go to these places, listen, our actions are going to follow. And so what is your thought life like? What is it like? What, what do you put your mind on? A similar passage to this in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed. And how does this transformation take place? By the renewing of your mind. This word transformed is fascinating. It's the Greek word metamorpho. Does that sound like? Metamorphosis. Well, what is metamorphosis? It's a great change, right? I I think that we've all got in our minds the picture of a caterpillar going into a cocoon and struggling and struggling and struggling in that cocoon, and then what? Well, out comes a beautiful butterfly. Without that knowledge that metamorphosis takes place, like I would never look at a caterpillar and a butterfly side by side and say, yeah, I think I can see that, (laughs) you know? I would never say that. Like, it doesn't make sense to us, but there's this amazing process that the Lord has made called metamorphosis, and Paul says, this is what happens to your life when your mind is renewed. This process, this, this drastic change takes place in your life when you are renewing your mind. It causes transformation, and so I think the important question is, well, I'm on board with that, right? I'm on board with transformation, but how do I do that? <laughs> what, what, what takes place in the renewing of our mind? Um, if I've spent years and years and years thinking a certain way, how can I just stop that? How can I just renew my mind? Well, Paul gives us uh, in Philippians advice here. He says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What's that? Well, what's true? What's, what's pure? What's honorable? What's right? What's, what's lovely? What's excellent? What's of good repute? Well, those are the things that we need to be putting our minds on. Those are the things that we need to be thinking about. Well, how can we know those things apart from the word of God? How can I know what's right? How can I know what's true? How can I know what's honorable? How can I know the things that please the Lord? How can I know what's excellent unless I am studying and knowing and treasuring the word of God in my heart? That is how our mind is renewed. It's through the study of the word of God. It's through reading it. It's through digesting it. Uh, It's through mulling it over in our minds. The Bible tells us to meditate on the law of God. Um, And, you know, don't get weirded out by the word meditation. It simply means just think deeply on these things. Think deeply about the word. Pray over it. Apply it to your life. And as you do, this process of renewing your mind, well, that's just something that's going to naturally take place. Now, I'm not saying that we don't put any effort towards it throughout the day. I think that there's huge value in memorizing Scripture. And um, right now, the high school, we're we're reading through the Bible in a year together. and, And these are things that should take place in our life. Because, listen, I'll say it again. The war that rages on for your personal purity and holiness... Um, that's fought and won on the battlefield of your mind. And unless your mind is being renewed by the word of God and by the spirit of God and the application of his word to your life, we're gonna fall back into our sinful ways. We're gonna put on those old dirty clothes, right? Because our minds aren't being renewed. So Paul, he tells us, put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed. What is your thought life like? When you're alone, what does your mind go to? When you're lying awake in bed at night, what are you thinking of? What are you thinking of? Is the Lord honored with your thoughts? It's a question that we I don't think I ask myself nearly enough. Is the Lord honored by what I'm thinking about right now? And you might even be thinking to yourself, well, geez, that sounds a little bit extreme. Um, yeah, it does. Because our walk with the Lord encapsulates everything Every aspect of our life, every portion of who you are, the Lord wants it all. He wants your thoughts. He wants your thoughts. And so, what do you think about? What do you set your mind on? And, you know, don't forget, this is where our battle, it's, it's fought and it's won. This is where I choose. I'm really going to walk with the Lord and I'm going to be serious about walking with the Lord, or I'm not. And so, are you renewing your mind are you renewing your mind? Are you in the word? Are you treasuring it in your heart? Are you applying these things to your life and um, walking in holiness and purity? And I would encourage you, um, if you're not, just tomorrow, just start reading Genesis. You know, we live in an age, where you've got Bible apps, you can go find Bible reading plans, just start reading through the word. And there are gonna be days, Maybe, maybe you'll miss it, but begin to treasure it in your heart. Begin to memorize it. Begin to apply these things to your life as you approach the word. Be prayerful. Seek the Lord. And Lord, today I just pray that you would speak to my heart. Today I pray that you would just apply the word of God to my life and that just by reading it and being in it, you would renew my sinful mind, Lord, because I need to be renewed. I need to be renewed, Lord. And so put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and finally he says here in verse 24 to put on the new man. It says that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. If you're in Christ tonight, the Bible tells us some pretty amazing things about who you are. First 2 uh, Corinthians 5:17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creation. He's been made anew. The Bible tells us here in verse 24 uh, that if you are in Christ tonight, then uh, you need to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice this new man, it's not something that we've made. It's not something that that we, we fashion with our own hands. This is something that God has made. It was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. A commentator says this about, that he said, The new man is not our work. It is God's creation and gift. Our task is not to weave it, but to wear it. Paul is commanding a daily appropriation of that which we already possess. That's amazing. The Lord's already created this new man. The Lord has already made you a new creation. All you have to do is put it on. Put it on, wear it, he says. We have everything that we need. We have everything that we need. Did you know that? You have everything that you need today to walk a victorious life in Christ. You have everything that you need today to walk um, in purity and holiness. You have everything that you need today to forsake that sin. You don't need anything more. You have Jesus who's bought and paid for that sin on the cross. You can overcome it by the power of the blood of Christ. Not because you're strong, you can't in your flesh, but Jesus can through you. 2 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. That's what it says right here in 2 Peter 1.3 three. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through knowing Christ. That's how. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. You have everything that you need. You don't need anything outside of Jesus. You have all that you need right here. He's laid it out for you. Submit yourself to him. It's already been given to us. Listen, when we were born, we were born with that sinful nature, right? We were born with that old man uh, that we need to put away, right? We were marked by uh, blindness and ignorance and, and immorality, but the moment that you come to Christ, there's a new man that's born. There's a new man that's born, and he is marked with righteousness and holiness created by God for you, and you need to put it on. You need to put it on, just like you put on your clothes today put on the new man don't put on those filthy clothing so put off the old man renew our minds walk in the newness of life doing those things that are pleasing to the lord walking in holiness and righteousness and purity physically mentally spiritually carrying out those things in our bodies and in our minds that are pleasing to the lord doing it paul said in romans 12:1 that we're called to be living sacrifices to be living sacrifices that our whole lives are devoted to Jesus. But the Lord has already done the work. The Lord has already given you everything that you need to walk in this type of godliness. So go do it. Go do it. Romans 13, 14 says, similar passage, great cross-reference, says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that? Put on Jesus himself. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fill it, fulfill its lusts. Put on Jesus. Put on that new man that was created in, in Christ Jesus in righteousness and purity um, and you still have that sinful nature but don't, don't give any provision for that. Don't, don't give your flesh an inch because if you give your flesh an inch, It's going to take a mile, right? Don't give provision to the flesh. To Safeguard yourself to walk in holiness and purity. So Paul, after this, if you're interested, you can go and read it. He gets super practical, and he just says, Therefore, don't, don't let these traits be a part of your life anymore. Put away lying from you. Um, put away uh, uh, sinning in your anger, right? Don't, don't steal anymore. Watch, watch what you say. Don't, don't let any corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which will, which will impart grace to the hearers. Um, go read these things because he gets really practical. But listen, it's all about I'm, I'm making a conscious effort to put away sin in my life, I'm in the word, I'm renewing my mind and I'm I'm allowing the Lord to transform me and then I'm walking it out. I'm putting on that new man. I'm walking in those things that the Lord has already given to me to be able to walk in. And that is what we learn of Christ. It's so what Paul said back in, in verse 20, right? He said, you've not so learned Christ. You've not learned of Christ to walk in the world, to walk in your sin, to, to keep walking like the Gentiles. This is what you learn when you come to the Lord. This is what you learn when you accept Jesus into your life, when he truly saves you. You learn to walk a walk of holiness and purity and sanctification. That's what we learn. He is so good. Let's go and let's do these things. And don't forget, you're just a pilgrim. You're just a person who's passing through. We're we're not staying here. This place isn't our home. And so how much more ought we to devote ourselves to really walking these things out, to really live in this type of purity and holiness and that the world would be able to look at us and see something different what a shame it would be if the world looked at us and said, they look just like me. No, they ought to look at us and say, they're not from here. They're not from around here. The way that they live their lives, their, their, their custom, their culture, the way that they were so kind to me, man, that, that's something supernatural. What does the world see when they see you? I hope that the world sees Jesus in each and every single one of us. Be radical in your walk with the Lord. Be radical for the sake of holiness. I don't think that we're going to get to heaven and look upon our lives and and say, gee, I sure wish that I experienced more of the world. (laughs) Right? I don't think any of us are going to say that. I think that we're each going to say, man, I wish that I ran harder after the Lord. I wish that I didn't get so sidetracked with the things of the world. I wish that I really gave myself over to complete complete and total sanctification in Jesus Christ. And so, let's go do it. Let's go walk in those things. Let's not look like the world. Put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on that new man.